Today we'll interview Fran Lassiter, the first diversity fellow at Montgomery County Community College. Fran's fellowship began in 2008. Welcome, Fran. Thank you, Amanda. I'm excited to have you here. So we're going to ask you some questions about your fellowship and your life. So just feel free to answer whatever and disregard what you don't want to answer. <laughs> okay. That's totally I'll certainly okay. Do that. I'll certainly do that. Thank you. <laughs> okay. So first question. Could you tell me about your past, your family, where you grew up, um, any education that you want to share with us, your educational background, and any obstacles you've had? Okay. Um, I grew up in a very small town in Virginia, 50 miles south of Richmond, called Denwitty. Um, my father still lives there, and my sister as well. Um, my mother uh, passed away about seven years ago, but we have a small family. I was the first in the family to go to college, so that was um, interesting. Um, <laughs> in high school, my junior year in high school, I was got I received early admission to the University of Virginia. I was very excited about it. Um, I thought it was going to be a wonderful opportunity for me to become this famous writer because that's exactly what I thought I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. um, I went to UVA. It was probably the worst mistake of my life. Oh, no. Um, it was a time I was there from 79 to 82, and it was a time where there was a lot of political and social issues um, related to race and sex discrimination that were part of the college. Um, I spent three years there. Uh, I was about 40 credits shy of graduation when I just decided it was enough. Ooh. I had had... So um, close. Yeah, I was very close. My mother was very upset with me. <laughs> um, but I had had too many instances in classes where I felt that teachers were very disrespectful. One instance comes to mind where I was in an English class. In fact, it was my first semester there. And we were discussing Shakespeare. I don't even remember what the question was, but mm -hmm. I remember raising my hand and giving a response. And the professor paused and looked at me and he said, huh, how would someone like you know an answer like that? Ooh. And I wasn't sure if that was related to my gender or my race, race. or both. Mm -hmm. But whatever, I was like, this is not a good, healthy place for me right now. <laughs> and so a number of instances like that, and I just decided enough was enough. And so mm -hmm. I left. Took me 15 years to go back to school, mm -hmm. but I did. And when I went back to school, I went to an HBCU, um, Historically Black College in Washington, D.C. Mm -hmm. um, almost the first day of class, it became clear to me that the people who were there to teach were not just interested in what you were doing today, but also what you're going to be doing in the future. Okay. And there was a constant push to continue your education after you receive your undergraduate degree. Mm -hmm. And so I was encouraged to go to grad school. Oh, um, okay. I didn't think it was going to happen because, mm -hmm. for one thing, the cost. But I followed through and applied to uh, Temple University where I was accepted. Mm -hmm. So I moved up here in 1999, finished my master's and my Ph.D. at Temple in 2006, uh, got married in the interim, and um, – the first year out of uh, grad school, I decided to go back to my alma mater and okay. teach. And that was great. It mm -hmm. was really wonderful. The problem is, is that it was a commute. It was from Philadelphia to Washington. And so I did That's that a for, commute. oh, yeah, it's a two hours. And I used to take the train because it was just like, nah, I'm not driving this yeah. every day. <laughs> I don't blame you. Um, so that got very tiring. And so I saw an ad um, for the fellowship here at Montco okay. and decided, huh, why not? Mm -hmm. And so I decided to apply and um, came in for the interview. Everything went well. And here I am. 
That sounds really great. So um, it, what drew you to the fellowship initially was the location and what else? The location and the fact that I would have a uh, really pretty much a reduced course load because at that time, your first semester, I believe you taught two classes or I think that's what it was. I don't remember. Um, and then the second semester would be maybe one more class. And so okay. I like that. Plus, I also like the fact that it was a community college because mm-hmm. I knew the student population because the student population would be very similar to what I had experienced at an HBCU. Mm-hmm. And I thought this was a great opportunity for me to really sort of dive into teaching, even though I had been doing it as a TA in grad school. But, you know, full time, this was something different. Um, And the close proximity to home also did help a lot. Okay. Um, One interesting question about the fellowship, like how have you seen it change? I mean, since you were the first one and now to see all the people that come after you, how has it changed? Um, Well, for one thing, I think it's become a lot more organized. (laughs) Uh, When I was there, there were some questions in terms of what would be my responsibility as a faculty member, because Mm -hmm. the fellowship initially, the only thing I was going to be doing was teaching. Well, guess what? First semester, I was on committees. In fact, I was on committees, two or three committees by the time that my first year was over. Um, There was some uncertainty in terms of the, I think it's the mentoring program, which is obviously a part of all faculty mm-hmm. requirements here. But there was some question as to whether or not the time that I worked or I was a part of the faculty mentoring would count towards my tenure, okay, um, promotion, things of that nature. And so there's, it's been more um, organized and streamlined. So there's a clearer sense of what your responsibilities and duties are mm-hmm. as a diversity fellow today than it was in 2008. And I mean, I understand being the first there was some growing pains, and so it has certainly improved. And so I think that those people who are coming in now have a much clearer sense of what the expectations are as opposed to me. But I also have to say that at the time, my then-dean, Stephen Greco, um, was incredibly supportive mm-hmm. in terms of making certain that I felt comfortable, um, making sure that I understood um, you know, what was going on, how the college operated, that sort of thing. So it was a, it was a fairly easy transition for me. Did you have a mentor during that time? Yes, I did. I did have a mentor, um, and it was someone in the English department, um, Diane Biddle. Oh, Diane. I'm sorry. Yeah, Diane Biddle. Mm -hmm. Um, And she was my um, faculty mentor and a really great person in terms of personality-wise. We worked out really well, and she also was incredibly knowledgeable in terms of how the college operated, Mm -hmm. how the department operated. So that's what made the transition so much easier because having someone who, first and foremost, is easy to talk to um, and also is knowledgeable just makes it so much easier. Mm -hmm. It really does. Um, As a person of color, uh, what do you identify as the goals of the program and its connection to your success in the field? Hmm. Um, this is going to sound kind of odd, but I don't think of my success as one of the objectives. Mm -hmm. Um, I like to think of what it is that I can do in the classroom that will prepare students for the next stage of their development. Mm -hmm. Um, it's not that I don't have an ego. That would be (laughs) obvious that we all have an ego. (laughs) Yes, But, um, it's just, I'm, I really, I teach because I like teaching. Um, and I like to see my students... I want to give something back in terms of what it was that I experienced. Um, I was very fortunate at um, UDC to have not so much mentors, but just faculty members that were like, this is what you're supposed to do. And then we're going to make certain that you succeed. And we're not going to allow any sort of 
obstacles to distract you from your mm-hmm. goal and objective. And that was something that was incredibly important. And I felt, wow, if I had experienced this at UVA, I probably would have finished stayed. 15 years yeah. ago. Yeah. Um, and so that's what I see in terms of being uh, the program. What it should be doing is not so much focusing on the success of the faculty member, but how that faculty member can prepare students for the next level of their education. That's that's just what it. I see it. It does give me an opportunity because, I mean, I have had a chance to go to conferences and things of that nature, mm-hmm. so that's been great. But um, my own professional development is something that I sort of, I don't necessarily see that as tied into the fellowship or the mm-hmm. program itself. Um, What project are you most proud of from your time as a fellow, Hmm. if you had one? I don't know because I mean I was I was sort of doing everything. So there (laughs) there was like there's no real project I was working on because I didn't being the first. Mm -hmm. um, I did not have the luxury of being able to finish a project that I may have been working on from grad school. Mm -hmm. Um, But just the idea of being able to kind of design a course. Um, I teach African-American literature, and I was able to work on designing that, that course, course while great. I was during during my fellowship. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't get to teach it that during that time period, but I, at least I had the opportunity to think about, okay, what kinds of assignments do I want? What mm-hmm. kinds of text do I want to include? What kind of media, um, AV sort of stuff do I want to yes. include? So that was that's what I did work on during that time period. Well, that sounds like a project to me. Yeah, I guess it was. <laughs> so are you still working on that now? It's always under development. (laughs) Um, I'm one of those teachers that I don't like to teach the same materials because, first of all, most African-American literature is so vast. There's such a richness of texts. And so each semester I throw in anywhere from four to five new readings. Um, I come up with some. The projects pretty much stay the same, but it's the readings that I like to add and then also supplemental materials that I'll find that will, you know, assist the students in understanding the political, social, and cultural context of many of these texts. Mm -hmm. But I have other projects that I'm working on that are not related um, (laughs) to my fellowship or whatever. So that's what I've been – I had a sabbatical – Geez, how long was it? I guess it was about a year ago. About a year. So what did you do during the sabbatical? Uh, Yes, I love to talk about my sabbatical. Okay. Um, I have – always had a hist- an interest in family genealogy. Mm-hmm. Um, my maternal grandmother was the great historian in our family, and she used to tell us these wild and incredible stories, and I was like, yeah, right, this can't be true. So um, did a little research. To make a long story short, I was able to trace my maternal line all the way to 1727. Wow, that's really far back for African Americans. It is. Yeah. It truly is. And what was even more remarkable is the man that I found who was our forefather was an actual medical doctor, in Virginia in the 18th century, which is Whoa. almost unheard of. Yes. Um, I am still trying to locate information in terms of where he received his training because obviously he did not go to school. Yes. Um, and he was indeed mulatto. Okay. So that obviously had an impact on it. Um, he also contributed significantly to the American Revolutionary War. And as a consequence, he was deeded, granted uh, like 300 plus acres of land um, by the then governor of Virginia. And so at the time of his death, he had well over 800 acres of land, none of which is in our family still, but that's a long, that's another story. Um, (laughs) He had 14 children. Okay. Wow. Of those 14 children, he has two very famous grandsons, um, one who was a minister and an immigrant to Liberia. 
Um, The other one who is a very famous cabinet maker in North Carolina. And so my sabbatical was to find out more information about each one of them as well as just our general family history. And so I'm, if all goes well, I'm in the process of finishing what is going to be a book, hopefully. Um, I should have it finished by the end of December. Perfect. That is so exciting. Yeah, I'm, I'm, this has been this has been, you know, it's it was my grandmother's story, but my mother was also someone who was very much into genealogy, and so this is sort of my tribute um, to those two women, those mm-hmm. two strong black women who gave me a sense of who I am. I love it. I'm so excited. I can't wait to see it um, and read it. So, last question that mm-hmm. I have for you is: How do you see the program continuing in the future? Ah, um. I would hope that first and foremost, each of the department's divisions here um, incorporate a fellowship opportunity um, for men and women of color. Mm -hmm. Um, I would hope also that the college would continue to support this so that we would also attract students who might see some programs or some projects that we're doing here as faculty, Mm -hmm. um, people of color, that they would want to be a part of so that they can then continue that at a four-year college. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just like to see the program continue to support the efforts of uh, men and women of color who have in many ways, especially in the academy, been kind of ignored or Mm -hmm. have had to take a back seat in many instances to others because – the places here is small enough that we can actually grow mm-hmm. um, and contribute in a, in a very meaningful way. So that's what I like to see the program do. Okay. And do you want to be a part of that in any way, any more than you already have as the first one? <laughs> <laughs> um, I always am available to give people advice and mm-hmm. suggestions and things of that nature. I'm not a title. There are some people who need to be... To have the title. And they need the title. I don't need that. I just want to, I guess I'm more concerned about the legacy Mm -hmm. as opposed to being actively involved in having my name as part of it. I like to clear the paths, but I don't necessarily have to be identified as one of those trailblazers or anything of that nature. Okay. Well, you are a trailblazer, and we thank you for being the first one. (laughs) And thank you for interviewing. Thank you, Amanda. I appreciate it. This has been. a very good time um, for me in terms of being here at the college. It hasn't always been easy, um, but I do love my students, um, and they are what make makes it worth getting up every morning. What can I say? That's all we have for today. Thank you very much. Thank you.